Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Good Sunday morning. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you for the next two hours to go over everything that's been going on in politics this week. Another political action packed filled week of newsmaking we had here in the United States and here locally in Erie County. Brenda, good morning. Good morning, Joe, and congratulations are in order. This is the first time we've We're having publicly. some technical issues. Brenda, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Can you hear me now? I can hear you, I can hear <laughs> you now. That would make a great commercial. Hey, uh, Joe, congratulations are in order. Uh, you're going to join the, uh, the rest of us in the institution of marriage and try not to focus on the word institution. <laughs> well, th- <laughs> thank you very much. It's, it's been a, a fun first week of being engaged, and uh, I couldn't, couldn't be happier, you know. Uh, now everyone knows why I was off last week, but uh, I really appreciate all the love on social media, the uh, text board, and the calls this week it's been it's been great we we couldn't be happier now is the fun thing uh, the fun time of picking a venue for the wedding right now that's the, enjoy every minute of it joe because it goes by in a flash i can tell you um at the end of next month my husband dan and i will be married 30 years so my one bit of advice to you is don't take each other for granted that's kind of the key in our marriage uh, and always have a sense of humor. And nowadays, more than ever, I think you need a sense of humor as we live in these uh, pretty wild times, both political and with the pandemic. It's more important than ever to uh, maintain you know, uh, some balance and to have a sense of humor and never take each other for granted. And knowing what I know of you and Katie, I don't think you'll do that. So <laughs> no, I wish exactly. the two of you all the best. Well, thank hey, you. Joe, Joe, before we go on, I just want to give a shout out to my neighbors, Sandra and Doug, because every week they are so kind to take my little dog, Walter, for a couple of hours, because as you know, I'm broadcasting from home. And Walter goes over to play with his girlfriend, Kelly Rose, their beautiful white Westie. And they're so kind to take him because, you know, the minute the mic goes on, he'll start barking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm well aware. <laughs> yes. Yes. So uh, just a shout out to my neighbors for uh, for being there for us every week. All right, Brenda. Now, we have had news about a VP being selected. We've had county news. We've had school news. And who better to cover all of those things than Betty Jean Grant? Betty Jean, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Brenda. And congratulations. I I celebrated 50 years of wedded bliss this year. Wow. Well, congratu- congratulations to you, Betty Jean. Thank you. 
Betty Jean, I have to ask you, a half century, what's your key to a good marriage? Let him do what he wants to do, and you do what you want to do, and you meet in the middle. It, it, it makes perfect sense. I like I think that. It would, <laughs> the whole compromise idea makes perfect sense. Yep. Excellent. Now, Betty Jean, you called into uh, David's show this week, and we were glad to hear from you. Um, but you were talking about Kamala Harris, and we, we want to touch on a lot of local things as well. But I thought we'd start off with uh, what you thought of Joe Biden's pick and what does Kamala Harris bring to the Democrat ticket? Well, first, her name is kind of unusual. It's Kamala. So it's kind of uh, like the comma, the punctuation mark, Kamala. Uh, Kamala Harris brings a lot to the table. Uh, I think I like the fact that she was in law enforcement. And I like the fact that she did for about 20 years do the law and order because that gives her a perspective of both sides of the equation, those who have been uh, charged with a crime and those who are charging. So I like the fact that she brings that to the table. I like the fact that she was a district attorney, you know, for uh, San Francisco County and city of San Francisco. And I like the fact that she was the state attorney general. I think she brings that to the table in addition to her almost a full term being a U.S. senator. So those are things I like about her. Betty Jean, there's been a lot of talk, of course, about how Joe Biden said that he will pick a woman and, and probably a woman of color. But Kamala Harris is not African-American. She is the daughter of a Jamaican and Indian uh, of Indian heritage of parents who uh, both emigrated to this country. Does it bother you at all that she's not African-American? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, I believe the best person for the job should be the one to get that job. And the fact that she's not uh, an African who uh, was born in America, her father is from Jamaica, and there's no... And we all know that those slaves who were in Jamaica uh, before they won their independence, those were slaves coming from Africa. So the fact that her the father Jamaican has nothing uh, and an immigrant doesn't really discredit her or delude her her color. She's black. You look at her, she's clearly black. A lot of people from India, if you didn't know, um, they came from Africa as well. So she could, she could have African blood on both sides of her family. And the fact that she's the color that she is, tells me that there's uh, some ethnic mix with African in here. And I know that Jamaicans are part African. So and what, what about the fact that um, she doesn't have a whole lot of experience? You know, she has not been in uh, the Senate for decades like many others have, uh, but she certainly was a tough prosecutor. She was born in Oakland, uh, worked as a prosecutor in San Francisco. Uh, do you think that uh, she has the requisite amount of experience needed? Because this year, more than ever, this election rather, more than ever, it seems that there's such an emphasis on the vice presidency because Joe Biden is in his late 70s and there's a lot of talk that he may not either finish the term if he indeed wins or may not run again if he wins. Uh, what's your view on her experience and the ability to do the job if she's called in to do that, uh, the, the biggest job in the world? Well, I, I believe all the women that he was considering, I think she is the most qualified. I think she has the most broad, diverse jobs, you know, from a district attorney, uh, from the uh, state attorney general and U.S. senator. She brings three elected office into the White House. And, and the fact that, uh, let's go back to the fact that she's black. You know, she has a lot of support from the, the black and African-American community because of her ties to 
um, historical black university, Howard University. So early on, er, even earlier than that, I read the fact that she was attending civil rights meeting with her mother and her father, who are civil rights activists, and they were both professionals. So the fact that, number one, she has was born, like you said, in Oakland. She went to um, a black university. She's an AKA member. She's a link member. So she is associated with the most prominent African-American group in the United States, and the oldest, the AKAs. And she has that broad-based support already on a national level. The fact that she... Um, is a state attorney general was one, I think really bring that perspective to the White House when they start to do civil rights reform, when they start to do criminal justice reform, when they start to do prison reform, she can bring those experiences to uh, Joe Biden. And let's not forget, she's not being elected president. So her her uh, record is good. But the bigger record was the one who signed those papers, who signed those laws and bills, and that is Joe Biden. She What she would do would bring her experiences that she has accumulated over these many years of public service, these many years of community activism, she would bring that to him so he would make a wider, wiser, I'm sorry, a wiser and a maybe better choice. Betty Jean, looking at the Biden-Harris ticket, uh, you as a Democrat, what is the one concern you have about this ticket heading into the election? I have no concern about that ticket. I, I know there, there's broad-based support for that ticket. My biggest concern is what I'm hearing about mail-in ballots. My biggest concern is people not having the right to have their vote counted. That is my biggest concern right now. I have no concern about that ticket. Fact is, I embrace that ticket. But speaking of of mail-in uh, mail-in voting, you, you do see where uh, there could be some kind of fraud uh, if we just give out ballots. Where do you stand on that? Do you want everyone to be sent a ballot, or more of an absentee system where a um, you have to request the ballot? In a perfect world, minus COVID-19, I would say the absentee ballot has worked over a period of years very well. I know for the primary, there was a mail-in where people were sent a ballot where they could choose to have their ballot mail-in or go to the polls. Because many of our most staunchest voters, many of our super-prime voters are senior citizens, those who are 70 and over. I don't want to give them an opportunity to contract COVID-19 by going to a very crowded, we know that general elections, special presidential elections are very crowded. I want, I would not want to put their lives or health at risk by forcing them to come to a place where they might be exposed and contract the COVID-19 virus. So I think the mail-in ballot, uh, I'm going to go to the polls like I've always done, like I did during the primary. But those who feel safer mailing the ballot in must be given that opportunity. I work for the Board of Elections, so I know that it's a process that is, is above board. There is always a Republican and a Democratic worker reviewing the ballot that comes in. There's always a Democratic and Republican commissioner to make those decisions. So once that ballot gets in the mail, the problem is with the post office getting it back to the Board of Elections. But once it's at the Board of Elections, I guarantee you there's no hanky-panky there because you have Republicans and Democratic working hand-in-hand and side-by-side ensuring that the process is valid and the process is legitimate and the process is safe. I'm glad you brought that up, Betty Jean, because I think people uh, probably wonder what the process is. So as you said, you have representatives from each party. What other uh, sort of safeguards are put into place at the Erie County Board of Elections to make sure everything is on the up and up? It is anything that comes in is hand stamped. 
when first coming to the door, it is stamped, and that verifies that a board of election receives that ballot. And then it's put to the side where it is not open until there is a review committee that has equal number of Democrats and equal numbers of Republicans. They go into a room, and only they open that ballot. So no ballot is open unless there is a Democrat present and a Republican present. So they can verify that what one person says is verified by the other. So that process, I think, is, is, is almost perfect. My concern, as always, is maybe having ballots not being sent to the Board of Election in a timely fashion, maybe being held to the side, or maybe not being sent because the post- postal workers are not uh, uh, as adequately staffed as they should be. So my concern right now is getting that money to the U.S. United States Postal Service so they can hire enough people to ensure that when somebody uh, is mail a ballot, they receive it in a timely fashion, and once they fill it out and send it in, that is received by the Board of Election in a timely fashion. Once that happens, that vote in that ballot is pristine and safe and is not tarnished or is not tainted with. So my problem right now, my concern, not problem, my concern is making sure that the United States Postal Service have the resource they need to ensure that everybody get mail a ballot, be able to have a return and count it in a timely fashion. Right, but just uh, just to reiterate, but you would want a system that is like the absentee system where you would request it, that we wouldn't just see what we're seeing in New Jersey or Nevada, where you just send everyone a ballot. Um, you don't think that would be the, the system we'd go with here in New York State, correct? I think because we only have less than 90 days before the election, I think everybody is sending a ballot. And those who want to, I'm a, everybody sending an application for a ballot. And those who want to have a mail-in ballot, was sent that form back like my husband did in, in his primary. He didn't go to the polls. I did. And I, and I believe that sent to all the registered voters who are qualified, I think, is a way of not um, not reaching those who might not get the mail in a timely fashion. So right now, I think everybody who's registered to vote should be sent that ballot. And those who want to go to the polls and vote will be given that opportunity. And those who have concerns or health uh, compromise uh, illnesses, they'd be able to vote from state to their home, and they'd be able to participate in the democratic process. Betty, excuse me, Betty Jean, I, I uh, want to just shift gears for a moment. It probably seems like a lifetime ago when you were a member of the Buffalo Public Schools Board of Education uh, representing the Ferry District. Uh, I believe you were there from uh, 2004 to 2007. Yes. What, um, do you still um, have a role in public education? Because I'm curious what you think about uh, the dilemma the schools face right now about dealing with COVID. Uh, what do you hear from folks in the community about wanting to either go back to school, do a hybrid, you know, online learning? What are you hearing? I'm hearing, I have two children in the Buffalo Public Schools. One is sitting on her grandchildren, rather, not children, <laughs> uh, grandchildren. And <laughs> one at Armstead 64. And at this point in time, my daughter is not going to allow them to go to school in September. She is pushing for online because of the uncertainty that's happening in the Buffalo Board of Education. You know, you got a problem with children wearing masks, wearing masks all day. we got the social distancing. Uh, the younger that the child is, the less likely he is to keep that mask on all day unless he's reminded constantly. The less likely he's not going to uh, stay six feet away from his friend who he hasn't seen since March. And so I, I, I believe, you know, personally as a grandparent, and as a former school board member, that school should be remain closed until Jan- at least January and have t- children participate in online uh, if they want to, and that's what the parents want. 
the hybrid, I don't think, I don't like that, going to school two days or three days and at home two days. I do not like that. Either should be online or should be in school, in my estimation. What do you uh, say, though, to, to parents who may not have online access? Is that a concern? It is a concern. That's why I think the Board of Education and the Buffalo Public School System need to get together and find out how they're going to ensure that every parent has Internet access, that every parent has a laptop computer so that child can do the online. I think that money should be, funds should be allocated for those low-income uh, households that don't have Internet, where a deal can be made where they could do a bulk, have every child that do not have it from their household right now to have them um, be subsidized by the Buffalo Public Schools. So and my, where every house should have online connection. Uh, and Betty Jean, we only have a couple of minutes left, and Joe and I really appreciate you taking time out on a Sunday morning. And, and I was reading your biography, and uh, it really strikes me that, you know, you came from a small town in Tennessee and, and rose to the top ranks of the legislature as the chairperson and then worked uh, in the school board as a representative and also in the Common Council and ran for, you know, other offices. Yeah. Uh, and, and it also strikes me that you've worked with many successful black women. In fact, um, uh, April Baskin is now in a position of power. You've worked with uh, Barbara Miller-Williams and Bonnie Russell. You have a unique perspective because so many people talk about Kamala Harris and the whole race issue. What was it like for you coming up, uh, especially not being from Western New York originally? Well, you know, coming up, I'm just saying, now, I came from a two-room school. It's two rooms for the whole uh, elementary school. And I came from where I had two teachers my whole elementary life, a husband and wife, was my teachers from first to eighth grade. But they instilled in me the passion for learning. They instilled in me that if you want something, you have to go out and get it. So I came to Buffalo, you know, with this Southern accent, and I got into politics. And people told me, you can't get into politics because, number one, you're too dark-skinned. You know, you're African-American who's dark-skinned, so they're not going to accept you. you. You talk funny. You come from the South, they're not going to accept you. But I never let people's limitation, you know, affect me. I wanted something. I figured if you can get it, I can get it as well. So what I did was took that learning from my two teachers I had in elementary school and say, if you want something and you want it bad enough, you work for it. And so I didn't take no for an answer, and I tried to uh, raise my children the same way, that anything is possible. And so, could this little girl who was born in Oakland, of black parents, Asian and Jamaican, can she become vice president? She absolutely can. And I'm hoping that she does. And so I wanted to let all young children know, and she probably as well, that if you want something, it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter your ethnicity, it doesn't matter your gender, but if you're in America, the land is free, home of the brave, that you can't expire you can achieve. So that's what I see in a Kamala Harris candidacy for vice president. It gives me and others and those who are much, much younger than I an opportunity to say, you know what, this is a great country. It accepts everybody. It represents all of us, and we all of us can represent it as well. So that's my hope that the people who are looking at this candidacy would say, don't look at her color. Don't look at her race. Don't look at her gender. Look at the possibility and what she can bring to the United States to make it better. But, you know, the, the divisions are so deep nowadays, Betty Jean, as you well know. Uh, is that even possible in today's day and age? I believe so. You know, like I say, I'm African-American, black, from the South, but I have many friends who 
uh, you know, are white, who are conservative, who are Republicans. You know, Mike Madigan from Grand Island, I consider Mike a good friend of mine, and we don't let politics get in the way. So if we don't let politics divide us but work together for the common good of the country, it can happen. But we have to be willing to accept change. And some of us, some of us don't want to accept that change because we're uncomfortable with that change. And so I, I, I have hope in America. I have hope in the United States. I have hope in the presidency. But we have to have someone in that office who is inclusive, who is accepting, and who respects the rule of law. Betty Jean Grant, thank you so much for taking time out of your Sunday. Always great talking to a fellow Madai grad, and hopefully we can catch up again soon. Thank you so much, and congratulations to you and Kathy. Thank you so much, Betty Jean Grant, joining us here in the first segment. A stacked hard line. You won't want to miss it. Another guest coming up next, Brenda. Absolutely. Mark Hamrick, and that may be a name familiar to longtime listeners of WBEN. Looking forward to talking with Mark, who is now based in Washington, D.C., and we'll get into some economic analysis uh, and political talk, of course. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy, Hardline, right here on WBEN. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Trying to connect with our next. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Next guest, we will be talking a little about the economy and Brenda... This week, for the first time since the pandemic really shut down the country, we saw um, unemployment claims, new unemployment claims, drop below one million. Yeah, you know, it's uh, finally some good news, uh, Joe. And I I really hope uh, that the help wanted signs stay out there and that people can continue to get back to work and and have some sense of normalcy uh, as the pandemic just continues to roll out with no end in sight. But it's always encouraging to see some good economic news like that. Yeah, good economic news. And then here locally in uh, the state of New York, we now see where bowling alleys will be able to open Monday. And Brenda, something you and I have been talking about for five months, finally a guidance for gyms will be released this Monday, tomorrow. It, it's about time. I, uh, I just feel so so sorry for the gym owners and other folks who are working in the fitness industry who really just, you know, had their world fall apart on them with no sense of explanation about when things might uh, get back up and running again. And I thought it was terribly unfair to leave them just hanging like that. And, to you know, who would have ever thought, Joe, that people would have to buy uh, lobbying time? You know, it's <laughs> just ridiculous that you'd have to buy a lobbyist to, to you know, I shouldn't say buy, but hire a lobbyist to work on your behalf. 
So uh, unbelievable, unbelievable times. But let's hope that there is some clear direction finally for the gym owners. Um, I think Mark uh, is trying to reach us, Joe. So, you know, as we know, there are some challenges. Uh, speaking of the pandemic, I'm working from home and, and you're at the station and we'll hopefully connect with our guest, Mark Hamrick. And Mark is, uh, is available. So if Scott wants to give him a call again, Joe, he's sending me an, a message. And right. if you have any questions for Mark, a uh, good time to line them up while we have a moment here at 803-0930 or send us a text, 716-803-0930. Um, Mark is a familiar face on many national outlets and in many publications. He is the Washington Bureau Chief and Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate, uh, based in Washington, D.C. So he definitely has his finger on the pulse of what's happening uh, in this country in terms of economic impact and how it intersects with politics. And if you follow him on Twitter, he always has interesting uh, analysis and comments under Hamrickisms. So a uh, very clever guy and, and uh, a guy that once worked in Buffalo. We'll talk to him once we get connected. We are connected. Mark, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. Mark Hamrick, how nice to have your voice back on the WBEN airwaves. It's Brenda Alacy and Joe Beamer on Hardline. And uh, I just uh, talked about your title, uh, Mark. How long have you been the Washington Bureau Chief and Senior Economic Analyst uh, at Bankrate? I've been at Bankrate for almost eight years. I've been in Washington since, uh, let's see, 1987. So I've uh, been here for a long time, we had the great fortune of being in Buffalo, including at WBEN uh, in the mid-80s, and uh, had the uh, additional good fortune of meeting uh, my wife, the former Jean Delanca, who was a, a staffer at WBEN on the weekends. Uh, when I wasn't there, her full-time job back in those days was uh, with the Buffalo Sabres. So our Buffalo roots are deep, and uh, um, you know, I would say we consider Western New York kind of our home away from home. It's nice to hear. There's always that Buffalo connection, it seems. And I imagine you run into a lot of uh, Western New Yorkers in the D.C. area. As a matter of fact, Mark, uh, I was an intern at WBEN back in the day when Jean was doing news. So I remember your lovely wife quite well. And, uh, and I do remember you as well. You did news back in the day, correct? So my uh, job at, at WBEN uh, around 1985 into 86 was to go up in the WBEN traffic copter uh, late afternoons, and uh, I was on the, then the Tom Kelly show, uh, and then uh, also on what we then called Rock 102, and then I needed to go from the helipad in uh, Hamburg up to the station on Elmwood, and then I uh, had uh, one of the best jobs in the world, and that was doing news on John Murphy's one-on-one -on -one sports, and uh so that was hourly newscast, and then uh, it, it feels like uh, something that's almost an antiquated idea, half-hour news at 11 p.m. <laughs> uh, and and uh, Murph, Murph introduced me to Jeannie, as, as a matter of fact, and so uh, I like to say that he did me a great favor, and uh, she almost forgives him for it. <laughs> that's a great line. Uh, Mark, we were talking uh, just before you joined us on the air about the unemployment rate, and I know you've written uh, some articles. I read... Uh, your uh, analysis on LinkedIn, and I, I love your Hamrickisms on Twitter. Uh, what's your latest take on the unemployment rate in the country? Sure. Uh, well, it's interesting. Uh, I'd point, first of all, uh, you know, for people that aren't familiar with Bankrate, we're a free personal finance site, and we really do try to help people achieve their financial goals. And 
And my job is really to help explain uh, what's going on with the economy and in politics and regulation and any number of other developments and try to connect the dots to people's individual personal finances. And uh, I do that uh, to be very straightforward about it, I do it mostly with other media. So in any given week, uh, you know, I had the good fortune of being picked up by the New York Times on Thursday to talk about the new jobless claims figures and, and with CBS radio and the list goes on. So the latest take really is that we're still very much in the depths of this economic downturn that began earlier this year as we had these sort of man-made human-made restrictions on the economy. And so uh, in the latest month, being July, we did see the unemployment rate nationally tick down to just above 10%. But I remind people that the peak of the financial crisis and Great Recession was 10%. And we were referring to that as the worst experience since the Great Depression. So we've sort of taken that uh, to the next level in a bad way. And it's interesting to see what's going on in New York State now because Uh, New York City is really an epicenter of unemployment uh, with a rate that's measured at 20%. And one of the things we do at Bankrate, and I urge people to look at our site or to Google this, we do something called the Housing Hardship Index, and it's a map of the United States. You can hover over every state and look at the unemployment rate and the level of uh, mortgage delinquencies. And in the latest national rankings, New York and New Jersey as states, we're basically among the hardest hit, and I would argue I think downstate is probably uh, much worse than uh, what appears to be the case in, in western New York in, in the sense of the economic contraction itself. Uh, but New York had harder to fall, right, because they had New York City, Manhattan, et cetera, because obviously you know they were early on and, and the heightened number of cases, and then there's an economic price to be paid for all that. And, you know, I, I, I imagine because you guys are closer uh, to the city than I am, but I know lots of people who work in around Manhattan. I know of many people who've moved, moved from the city permanently because they just don't want to take the chances or they've demonstrated they can work remotely. So, you know, we still have a long way to go with recovery. And ultimately, to sort of sum up the answer to your question is that the solution for the economic problems begins with a solution for the virus. And we know that's on the way in the form of safe and effective and available vaccines, but unfortunately they won't be here soon enough. So um, however this fall proceeds with, in in the cases where children are going back to school or people spend more time inside, um, I think we're in for quite a bit more challenging times here in the, in the very near term. Mark, how significant is the, uh, the claim below the claims, the jobless claims falling below the one million mark? Is that more symbolic or is there some real significance to that, even though we're still in dire times here? Sure. So we're talking about new claims for unemployment benefits, which are figures released every Thursday morning at 8.30 a.m. by the U.S. Department of Labor. Uh, and this is sort of the national accounting of uh, reports of people who have filed a request for unemployment benefits. And so in the latest week, you're absolutely right, Brenda, uh, that number did fall below uh, 1 million for the first time in 21 weeks. And we've accumulated well over a total of 50 million running. Um, But uh, in the latest week also, the accumulation of all claims, or I should say payments that are still being made right now, involves a total of 28 million Americans. So that's the number of people who are getting unemployment assistance of some kind as of the latest check. So uh, that's another demonstration of how we're very much still uh, in the depths of this crisis. 
But, you know, we were nearly 7 million new claims in a week early on. And so, you know, every week if we can push that down, and, and, and the suggestion is that that is an indication that fewer people need help, and, and those that's a bit of a leap of faith because, you know, we know that there was really no state system that was set up in the early stages to withstand an increase week over week of 1,500%, and then in the following week, the two-week change was 2,500%. And, and some states were set up, I would say, better than others. And, and uh, also on a statewide basis, uh, the state of New York saw a rather significant decline in new claims for unemployment benefits in the latest week, down by 21,000 to 52,000. So these numbers are moving in the right direction, but it's not time to check off the mission accomplished box. Mark, uh, this is probably a difficult one to answer, but say there isn't another spike, right? And we keep on slowly reopening things. Uh, here in New York State, we're finally getting bowling alleys at 50%. Gyms will probably open at the end of next week. Uh, if you had to make a guess, how long would the economic, uh, how long will, will we be feeling this crisis economically? Uh, even if, say, we have a vaccine or this thing's over by this time next year, how long will we be able to point to the economy and say this is still in effect of COVID-19? Well, it's a completely fair question. I think it's a good question. And the real answer is for some people, it could last the rest of their lifetimes. Uh, for the country, it may be a year or two, but there will be some aspects of the economy or economies that may be transformed uh, permanently. And so we see innovation, for example, in both positive and, and in some ways negative consequences to the extent that innovation is forced. An example of that is what we see, for example, with restaurants, where they go from full-scale in-person dining indoors to let's make this a takeout and delivery operation, right? Or in at least one case I saw in the San Francisco Bay Area where they were eliminating servers for the most part, and uh, for a full-service restaurant, in other words, sit-down dining, where people were basically going up to the bar and retrieving their place and taking it back to the table. So, you know, the leading edge of change, and I would say devastation in this crisis, really has been leisure and hospitality, bars and restaurants, hotels, airlines, um, and then the second tier is sort of retail. Uh, and, you know, we're seeing an acceleration of change uh, that was occurring before in retailing, right, with all these names that are filing for bankruptcy. In some cases, that means store closings uh, on a limited basis. In some cases, it means outright uh, end of the operation and liquidation. So that's a permanent change. And what we saw from the uh, Great Recession was that, um, for example, uh, millennials really uh, were dealt sort of economic setbacks from which they had not yet recovered coming into this crisis. And when you look at how certain groups of individuals are affected by unemployment recently, there are these individuals who are affected more, in other words, have heightened levels of unemployment. Women, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and teenagers who want to work. So for all those people who sort of fit that category right now, and, and they, that is their experience, you know, they are people who are experiencing joblessness, that means an interruption to income, that could mean that they become homeless or uh, falling short of that, they're not keeping current on their bills or falling short of that, they've had to stop saving money or they've taken money out of savings. So there's a variety of different ways that individuals can suffer this from this current situation. Um, and uh, I think that there's going to be just, you know, a variety of different ways that we all experience it. And there's about 16% of the population that's actually doing better right now 
Uh, those are people who more than likely are either working from home, saving money because they're not having to commute, probably aren't buying some of the things they would have done in the past, and are going on vacation. So uh, if you're fortunate enough to remain working, and, and I guess we all are, uh, you know, you say your prayers every day and also try to remember that there's a lot of people out there right now who are hurting and will be hurting for years to come. I'm glad you said that, Mark, because it's easy to complain and, and uh, feel bad about the current state of affairs, and then you realize other people are struggling to feed their families and, uh, uh, you know, be able to take care of uh, just their basic needs. So I, it, it's important not to lose sight of that. And there's a real disconnect, I would say, between Main Street and Wall Street, and that's an article that you wrote about in LinkedIn uh, recently, uh, some analysis on that. Uh, how does that reflect what's really true in the economy if the stock market is so different than what's happening on Main Street? Yeah, thanks for asking the question. And Main Street, of course, we're talking really about America, right? And and, sure. and and not all of America is a Main Street. It could be rural America, it could be suburban America, and then Wall Street is uh, meant to be uh, a reference to the financial markets. And in particular, these days, the major averages of the stock market, which tend to be the Dow Industrials average, the S&P 500, and uh, of course, the NASDAQ composite, which has been on fire because it's comprised of the major large technology stocks. So one of the first things is the Federal Reserve did the financial markets a favor early on by basically rolling all of its fire trucks uh, up to the financial crisis that we experienced early on and, and delivered these tools such as record low interest rates and other things to keep the financial markets from seizing up, which was an experience that we had uh, more than 10 years ago when that crisis was uh, going full boil. Uh, so what the stock market, I think, reflects, first of all, is an investment in the future for many people, but also enabled by these record low interest rates all over the world. And investors are searching for the best yield, as they would tend to do, right? So in other words, in an environment where, you know, you have to shop around, as you should shop around, as we always say at bankrate.com, for the best savings rate, you know, you might find a CD that pays, you know, one and a half percent, but, you know, the average yield on the stock market is, you know, five percent or above uh, annually. And so people are looking for that yield. And the other part is people are investing uh, on the hope that uh, whether it's technology or medical solutions, these are the bridges that get us to a better place. And it's also just reflecting the fact that there are all these solutions that are working quite well right now, whether it's using Zoom or um, a, a telehealth app uh, or just simply watching Disney Plus or Netflix or something like that. <laughs> among the stocks that have done very well in this environment. And then there's the other part, anecdotally, that we believe that there's some speculation going on in the market, including on the part of younger people who are uh, not able to, frankly, uh, bet on sports. So there's all kinds of things going on right now. And what I would say the action item for listeners here really is that if you're, like most people, if you're exposed to the stock market, invested in the stock market, it's more than likely that the bulk of those assets are invested for retirement, whether retirement's you know three years away, 20 or 40. And you really should not pay attention to the short-term noise, but just to have a plan, and that includes you know, regular investing through retirement if you're fortunate enough to, for example, to have a 401k plan through your employer. And while the financial channels uh, thrive on discussing you know, what happened in the last 30 seconds, what's really more important is just being invested because the problem is not being invested in the long term.
Well, and, and you bring up a great point about uh, 401ks, and so many uh, companies are not matching anymore. Do you see a real impact from that, or do you think that's just a short-term issue that'll be resolved once things get back, uh, once we get back on our financial feet? Well, so we're talking about uh, Brenda here, where companies are not matching, right? Apple, what one chooses to take out of one's own paycheck. Uh, nevertheless, there's still a tax benefit for individuals to go ahead and take advantage of that tax benefit. Uh, and so uh, for those who had their employers suspend their 401k matches, this is really part of the uh, effort on a number of companies to avoid laying people off. And I think most of us would say if we're in that situation, we'll take that would-be bargain. But absolutely, this is an important benefit. It's sort of become, unfortunately, the retirement solution that's sort of second tier behind Social Security in our country. Uh, and uh, it's important for all individuals to be making those contributions unless this is sort of in case fire, in case of fire break glass situation where they can't make those contributions right now because they've had a significant reduction in income and are just trying to make ends meet. So um, I think this, too, will return to normal if we ever get back to normal, as, as many of us hope. <laughs> right. Um, uh, Mark, one of our uh, listeners texted in a question for you. Do you foresee interest rates staying low in the near future? Great question. So basically, uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell and I attend these news conferences in person when we can do so and have been since 2011 when the uh, Fed news conferences began under Chairman Bernanke. Uh, he has basically said that we are not even talking about talking about raising rates. And so uh, I think until the economy becomes much stronger and, and we're not even in a, in a mode now where we can see when that happens, you know, in terms of getting back to a level of output uh, that was at pre-pandemic levels, um, we don't need to worry about uh, interest rates rising uh, in the near term, but long term they ought to. But uh, we've also been saying that for the better part of a decade. But uh, what I would say is that... Um, uh, one way or the other, you know, if you're trying to think about investment decisions, you know, that's really a function of trying to balance risk and uh, and to have a variety of asset allocations that can anticipate a number of different possibilities. But for those who are in the position to borrow now, and I mean well-qualified borrowers, I mean mortgage interest rates are at record low levels right now. And so uh, this is one of the things that's helping to sustain the housing market uh, for those who are in a position to have some um, equity in their home and to do a, uh, a cash out refinancing, perhaps to use some of that money for renovation. Um, there are, there are good reasons to borrow now, but uh, many Americans are cautious about taking on more debt because they're not confident about the future direction of the economy. And, and for many people, that's probably, uh, um, a good approach to take. Uh, we only have about 90 seconds left, Mark, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the looming presidential election and how you think that will affect the next three months, or, or actually at this point, less than three months to the election? Well, uh, yeah, we're um, within 90 days of the election, and I think that this just adds another degree of uncertainty, not only because of the difficulty in knowing how the election will turn out, and we're thinking also about the composition of the uh, Congress, meaning the House and Senate, obviously the Senate currently controlled by Republicans, and that's sort of where all legislation seems to stop these days. Um, and then I, I just think, frankly, the president's uh, sometimes unpredictable behavior adds another level of uncertainty. So you sort of check the boxes off, sources of uncertainty, COVID-19, the economic downturn, and let's just say national politics. Uh, there's no uh, shortage of uncertainty these days, and those are toxic for business decision-making. 
uh, I would say also for consumer confidence. So um, I think we're going to have to live through this uncertainty for some time, and maybe we'll have a better idea about how things turn out uh, on the other side of the election. Well, Mark, as we wrap, uh, Joe and I are diehard Bills and Sabres fans, and I would, I really would like to know what you and Gene are thinking in terms of the Bills prospects as you look in your crystal ball. I know you see mostly dollar signs and economic news, but do you see a Bills logo in there? <laughs> are you feeling hopeful? Let me put it this way. I, you know, I don't predict elections, and I certainly don't predict the outcome of a sports contest, but we, you know, we are going to be – fans of the Bills and Sabres uh, forever on end and, uh, and, you know, being a great friend of John and, and Mary Travers Murphy uh, and, uh, and and Jeannie's, you know, connections to the Sabres professionally. So uh, let's just say that uh, we're going to hope for uh, successful seasons uh, for the foreseeable future. And uh, I think uh, Bills fans are and Sabres fans are have, have earned that right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Mark Hamrick. Washington Bureau Chief, Senior Economic Analyst at Bankrate. Wonderful having you on with us today, Mark. Thank you very much for your time. It's my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you, Mark. Coming up next, uh, well, for a half hour, Brenda and I will take your calls on the three things we've talked about. The economy, Joe Biden's VP pick, and again, schools, which I think will be a topic for the next few months to come. So if you'd like to line them up, 803-0930 on the phone and the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. But first, let's get up to date. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 